It is so good to be back with you. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, we're preaching, we're teaching through the gospel of Luke, and I am so excited. What I love about preaching through the Bible is that pastors, preachers, cannot constantly preach on their favorite subjects or topics. When you preach through the Word, you are forced to preach what Jesus preaches, what God preaches. And uh, every week it's different. Luke chapter 14 within God's Word. Luke chapter 14. We'll go to it in a minute. As many of you have heard, we were away in Israel for the last, uh, it was about nine days in Israel. Eight, nine days. I lost track of time. Right now, my body, uh, even though it says it's quarter to 11, my body says it's uh, seven hours later right now. Seven hours later. And uh, uh, I was up, I went to bed at 1 o'clock last night. I got up at 4 this morning. And, and uh, my body's just all uh, messed up with this jet lag. And so if all of a sudden I'm snoozing while I'm preaching, <laughs> some of us won't be alone, huh? No, no. I, I, give, a, <laughs> I give a non-boring guarantee when I preach. We'll keep you awake. We will. If we see you sleeping, then we'll come up close to you so you can hear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, we were on Israel Adventure Tours. Israel Adventure Tours with Dr. Joe Davis. And I never realized how much the word adventure would be underscored. I did more hiking, more climbing, more swimming, more of this, that, and every, anything. And those that went uh, with us would vouch for me. Fred and Jeannie Hubbard and uh, uh, Vicki uh, that went with us. It was a strenuous uh, experience. We sailed on the Sea of Galilee. We stood at Mount Megiddo. Uh, and we uh, climbed the Golan Heights. Uh, we floated in the Dead Sea where you cannot sink. You can just lay back and read a magazine if you want to and let the wind push you like a sail. Uh, we climbed uh, the peaks of Engedi and uh, we climbed the highest part, and there's a pool of water where the waterfall's coming down. And uh, uh, we were with a bunch of college kids, and uh, they were all daring one another to dive into the pool from the cliff top there. And, and, and nobody dared to do it. I said, you know your pastor. I said, you young bucks, they just don't make them like they used to. Your pastor got up there, and I dove in five times. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. It really was. That's where David uh, was hiding from King Saul uh, in En Gedi. Uh, we rode a camel. Becky and I got her to ride a camel with me. Yeah. And, and, then, and then we, we uh, walked hundreds of feet below uh, ground. We walked through Hezekiah's tunnel. Walk through, and Becky chose to stay in the dry part. I took a turn, a detour, and I went in the part where a river is flowing through it, up to your waist, and uh, in my swimming suit, and, and uh, you have to crouch down in about five football fields long, crawling through this dark, dark tunnel, and we're using our cell phones as, as light, flashlight, getting through this, this tunnel, Hezekiah's Tunnel in Jerusalem. And then last week, Sunday, we did this. Your pastor and his wife. We were rebaptized. We renewed our water baptism. Amen. 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 It was a touching experience for Becky, but for me, she said, you needed to get water baptized again. <laughs> no. No. Oh, my dear bride, she asked me to water baptize her. That was the most special thing of my life, to water baptize my own wife. And then Dr. Joe Davis uh, baptized uh, myself. And uh, I was able to baptize our own Fred and Jeannie and Vicki. What a privilege in the uh, Jordan River. My, I would recommend the trip. It has made the Bible once again, even though I was there 42 years ago, uh, Israel has changed so much. What an experience 
for us. But I'll tell you, Sam Giordano, one of the great things, though, was shopping in the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, there, it's expected that you bargain shop, that you negotiate. And I love it. Any of you that really know me, you know that I love a good deal and working over a good deal. And uh, we were brought, we went down this alley way and uh, in the old city of Jerusalem and the Arabs control all the shopping in there and we went way back into this dark cranny of this store uh, of this merchant that was selling all kinds of fabric and and clothing and Becky wanted uh, what was it we bought uh, scarves is that what the word scarves she was interested in these cashmere scarves uh, and blouses for the women folk in our family circle. And he started out, I, I said, well, how much? And he said, 200. I said, 200 shekels? No, 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 $200, $200. I said, no, 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 $50. <laughs> he said, $200. Then 175 then 150 and then 100, we've walked out three times at this point. Three times we walked out of his store. And uh, he grabs me by the hand and wouldn't let go of my hand. I said, you trying to hold hands with me in Jerusalem? I said, what's going on here? And I said, $50. Read my lips. Take it or leave it. I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly what my wife will tell you. I told him. Take $50. He says, okay, $50. And I said, here's my plastic. And, uh, yeah, he, he, real ancient, but he, he could do it. And he took out the old slide thing. thing I, I feel safer with the slide thing than the electronics one. And, and uh, he writes it up. I, I get the transaction slip. It says $60. I said, honey, you give that bag of merchandise back to him. We're out of here. But, 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 but transaction fees, transact. I said, I don't care, $50. That's what we agreed to. And he, okay, okay. And then as we're walking out the door with our $50 deal, he goes, you are very hard man. You are a hard, hard man. I look back and I told Becky, I said, he still made money on us. I know it, he still made money on us. Oh, bargain shopping. Do you love bargain shopping? Makes me think of Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Jesus has a deal for us. Jesus puts it out in the terms of cost. Are you willing this morning to pay the price? Luke chapter 14, verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? The board of deacons, the board members, the committee members of this church have spent the last two years contemplating this very verse of Scripture, counting the cost for phase four. Continue to pray with us. I'll be going into a board meeting. I believe it's June the 10th. And I'll be asking the board members, do you feel the congregation is ready to vote? We're considering the second to last Sunday of this month. I believe it's June 20th, June 22nd. I don't have it before me, the date. To, to vote and bring the whole church together in one service and vote on phase four. A, a, a paramount issue is... Are we counting the cost? And I can declare to you that we are counting the cost. We have stood on this very verse of Scripture. 
Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. It becomes a folly then. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you have, say those words with me now, those four words, cannot be my disciples. That's a key phrase that I want you to remember to interpret this passage. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Salt in ancient times was used for preservation like meat. They didn't have refrigerators. It was also used as fertilizer for the soil. It was also mixed with manure to make it even a better fertilizer. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's why he says that Christians are the salt of the earth. It ties right into, you cannot be my disciple if you've lost your flavor. Can you imagine a bag of potato chips without any salt? Then Jesus announces these words. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus is saying, what I'm, up, what I'm saying to you here is one of the most important things you'll ever consider. If you've got ears, wake up. Wake up. Incline your ear and hear what I'm saying to you in this hour. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you'd grant his ears to hear and hearts to receive what the Spirit is saying through the Word of God. The words of Jesus here this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen and amen. This morning I preach a message to you, Craigslist Christians and the real deal. I've got someone in my family circle that is an expert on Craigslist in buying antiques and especially vintage items. And will travel to Ferndale, Royal Oak, and Ann Arbor. They, I, I keep telling them, you ought to go in business. And so I dedicate the title of this sermon to her. Craigslist Christians and the Real Deal. Amen. Amen. Let's first of all look at the cost. The cost. Luke 14 reveals that Jesus is more concerned about the quality of his followers than the quantity of his believers. What set off the discourse in Luke 14? We need to look at the first verse of the entire paragraph. This is what caused Jesus' concern. It goes smack dab against most of us pastors, most of us teachers and evangelists. Most of us, including your pastor right up here, I would love standing room only. I would love large crowds. Our culture, our culture is into numbers. That's a standard of success. Our culture is into money. That's a standard of success. But Jesus, when he saw large crowds following him, he got concerned. Why were they following him? Oh, they loved. It was better entertainment than TV or the movies. Healings. Miracles. Why go to McDonald's? Jesus gives free bread, loaves, and fishes. Following Jesus is fun. Jesus noticed that he had a lot of fans. But he wanted followers. There's a difference between a fan and a follower. And this is what alarms Jesus. 
Do you realize that we're living in a generation that has more mega churches than at any time in church history? Do, do you realize that a mega church is really a rarity? It's an anomaly. When you look at 2,000 years of church history, and it's only happened in our generation. Now, I'm not saying for all, but I will say this. Large crowds always alarm Jesus because in many circles, the bar has been set so low that anybody can be a Christian. If you don't know what I'm talking about, have you heard about the drive-through church? Let's look at the drive-through church right now on the video screen. The drive-through church. We might need to adjust the lights. What do you want? Uh, what's your special today? Well, we don't really have a special today. I mean, well, we kind of have everything. We have Pentecostal, we have got Baptist, we got Methodist. We, we have Lutheran, but... I don't, it's kind of old. I don't know if you want that one. Um, I'll take a Pentecostal today. Uh, light on the, the, the word, not too convicting. Can I pray with that? Sure. Do, do you want worship? No, I don't have time for that. Okay. Is that what you want? That's it. All right. Yo, Brandon! Got the next order! Okay, so this is, uh, uh Baptist, right? Oh, it's, it's uh, Pentecostal. Very good. Hello, brother. How are you doing today? Bless God. Welcome, welcome. We're so happy to see you here at uh, God's Revival Fire Pentecostal Tabernacle of the City of God. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, I've got a couple of things here for you. First of all, very important, the offering. Yep, we want to take care of the envelope. And, of course, prayer requests. We are big believers. And, uh... Uh, we're just so glad to have you here. I got a couple of announcements, some about kids' ministry, some about youth. I don't know. Uh, old people are eating breakfast. Let's see here. Oh, you're going to need a pen. Yeah, yeah. We uh, use Scantron now. It's a lot faster for the offering envelopes. A lot easier. So uh, we want to take care of that. While you're working on that, uh, well, let's consolidate. And I'll go ahead and preach the sermon while you're writing out that check. Here we go. Jesus wept. Very good. Illustration, uh, some about my kids, uh, humorous anecdote, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, let's see, poignant story about Christian brother or sister, Mother Teresa something. Don't we want to be like him or her? Yeah, yeah I know. Okay, well, prayer. Very good. Thank you so much. Let's go ahead and collect... Yep, right in there, right in there. Yep, oh, yep, got the pen back. Okay, well, uh, you take it easy, brother. Blessings, blessings. Let's give it up for Pastor Ryan, Pastor Randy, Beth Neary. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> How do you follow up something like that? Jesus said... He who has ears, let him hear. Or in today's vernacular, warning, what I'm about to say is for mature audiences only. What will it cost you to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Write it down. To be a Christ follower will cost you every relationship you will hold dear. First love is the only kind of love our Lord will accept. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 26 as he sets the terms, the first term, the first cost. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Pastor, you sure that that's not a misprint in the Bible? Didn't Jesus always tell us to love everyone? Jesus never told us to hate anybody. Pastor, he even told us to love our enemies. I can't imagine Jesus would use the word hate. What's the original Greek, Pastor? Well, I can tell you the original Greek word says hate. Jesus here is using a Middle Eastern language device. 
that was well known in his day. To really accentuate the positive, you bring out the contrast of a negative. His focus is not on hate. His focus is on love. We use language devices all the time. For instance, the, uh, 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 the guys might say that that girl is really cool. We're not talking about her temperature, are we? The girls might say that that guy is really hot. But again, we're not talking about temperature. We know what we're, we're saying. The people, the audience of Jesus' day knew exactly what he was sharing. He was sharing that your love for him, if you want to be his disciple, your love for him should be so great. It should be so devoted. It should be so passionate that your love for family and friends in comparison would seem like hate. Your love is so great for Jesus that it's supreme love. It's priority love. It's first love. First love. First love. What's your first love? What's your first love? For some of us, it's the almighty buck. For some of us, it's our toys. For some, it's pleasure. For some, it's popularity. For some of us, it's position, prestige. For, for some of us, it's pleasure. What's your first love? Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple unless I'm your first love. Even good things can crowd out the best. Jesus had to wake up a church in Revelation chapter 2. Does anybody remember the church? In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus had to wake up a church. It was the Ephesian church. This church, if you read about it in Revelation chapter 2, is an active church. It's a busy church. All kinds of events, all kinds of programs for the youth, the children, the adults. It was an outreaching church. It's a busy church. And Jesus commends them for their busyness. He commends them for their activity. He commends them for their faithfulness. But then, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. I know that even as your pastor, I have to check myself so often. 24-7, I can saturate myself with church work good work, but not the best. We can be guilty of good, doing good things while we neglect the best. The best is first love with Jesus. First love with Jesus. Being devoted to Jesus. Being passionate about prayer. Passionate about praise. Passionate about God's love letter. What's God's love letter? We need to be in His love letter every day. What's God's love letter? Somebody help me. The Bible. We need to... Uh, how many remember when you fell in love? Uh, you were on the phone. You lived on the phone. I mean, the phone looked like it was connected to your ear. You couldn't talk enough. You couldn't be enough with that one you loved. That's prayer. Jesus, the lover of our soul, will never allow any other to be a competitor or a substitute, a cheap substitute for our love for Him. He's a jealous lover. Our love and devotion for Jesus must be so great, so unconditional, so passionate. Our love for anything or anyone else would appear to be hatred. How many, how many here this morning there came a point in your life you had to choose between Jesus and family. Would you lift up your hand high? Lift it up real high. The rest of you, I want you to clap and applaud these right now. I want you to applaud these. I I'm the, the third generation of preachers and pastors on the Christ side. Everybody in my family circle on the Chris side, missionaries, teachers, preachers, pastors, are in the Lord's work, and our children are following suit in so many ways. On my mother's side, it goes back 250 years, every generation of pastor. But I am awed 
by some of you that have had to make hard choices. And you have been ostracized. You have been, you have been criticized. You, you have been relegated to being a loser because you have followed biblical faith. You attend a church like this. You're a devout follower of Jesus Christ. And on that day of days, great will be your reward. I have no idea of what you have gone through, but you have lived out this verse, this passage of Scripture. And God is greatly honored. It's all about first love. It has nothing to do with hating your family. You love your family, but your first love is Jesus. Your first love is Jesus. What will it cost you to follow Him? It's going to cost you first love because first love has become extinct in so many of our church circles today. The most recent church stats tell us this. They're shocking. Out of every hundred church members, five can't be found. Twenty never pray. Twenty-five never read the Bible. Thirty never attend church. Fifty never attend classes. Seventy never give to missions. Seventy-five never do any church work. Eighty never go to prayer meetings. And ninety-five have never won one soul to Jesus Christ. This might not be a popular message that your pastor is preaching this morning, but it's the Word of the Lord. Do you want to hear truth? Can you handle the truth? Can you handle the cost that Jesus would play out for us? Jesus gives it to us as a challenge. And men and women arise to challenge. The explorer, the Spanish explorer Pizarro, when he was exploring South America with his men and the way was being filled with disease and hunger and death, he finally, as his men wanted to mutiny, he drew a line in the sand and he said, Men, to the north of this line, there's ease, there's prestige, and there's pleasure to the south of this line, if you cross it with me, there will be hunger, there will be nakedness, there will be deprivation, and there will be death. But if you go this way, you will receive great honor and great glory. Now what will you do as brave Castillos? And they all rose up and followed Pizarro, and the rest is history in your history books as they explored the South American continent. Churchill Read, Google, Google what Churchill said in the dark days of World War II as London was being pounded by the bombs. Churchill said, Before us is blood, sweat, and tears. But why do we do this? For victory at all costs. Victory. There is nothing less than victory. Who will go with me for the victory? And his generation rose up to his challenge. 1963, it was John F. Kennedy who said, we choose to go to the moon. Not because it's the easy thing, but it's the hard thing to do. And Americans are used to it. And we rose up to the challenge. Jesus is giving us a challenge. More than just a cost. Here in Luke 14, Real men and women of God rise up to the challenge and say, I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to pay the cost. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, yet I will follow. I will follow Him. Are you willing to pay the price of first love to Jesus where no one has to urge you to read the Bible or spend time in prayer? where no one has to preach at you to be consistent in your attendance to church. It's just a natural overflow of your love for God where no one has to, to, to urge or compel you to be a soul winner, a witness for Jesus Christ. It just becomes natural because the lover of your soul has so filled your heart that when people see you, when people hear you, they see and hear Jesus. Are you willing to pay the price? He puts the challenge before us. The next challenge, being a true disciple of Jesus, a Christ follower, will cost you the carrying of your cross. 
Verse 27, Jesus put the terms, He put the cost. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. Whose cross are we called to carry? Whose cross are we called to carry? Not Jesus's. There's only one Lamb of God. There's only one Redeemer, one Savior. You're called to carry your cross. I know, Pastor. You don't know the cross I bear. Pastor, I'm married to the meanest man in the world, and that's my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Bearing your cross. When criminals were crucified during the days of Rome, they were forced, like Jesus was, to carry their cross through the city streets. Jesus was so brutalized by the whipping, he could only go halfway. Criminals were forced to carry their cross as a public display, declaring to all that Rome was right, that the judgment of crucifixion was just. It was meant cross-carrying. The main focus was public display. Public display. Do you have any problem? Do you have any problem? Do you have any problem publicly declaring that you belong to Jesus? That you belong to Jesus? Will you carry His cross? To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is going to cost you something. It'll cost you bearing the cross to school. It'll cost you popularity. It might cost you prestige. It might cost you that promotion when they find out you're a Christian. It might cost you prosperity. You might not get that job because they found out you're a Christian. We're getting there. We're right on the threshold of that in our society today. Bearing the cross of Jesus, both in word and in action, bearing the cross of Jesus will cost you. And Jesus wants to be right up front with you. He wants, to know you, wants you to know right at the onset there's a price to pay. It's going to cost you. Are you willing to pay the price? People might laugh at you. You might lose friends. You might lose that job. You might lose your position in society. Are you willing to pay the price? Countless Christians down through the ages, though, have paid the ultimate price. Becky and I, this year, have had the privilege of being both in Rome and in Jerusalem where Christians paid the price. Where Christians in the Roman Colosseum with their families would enter that Colosseum and be torn apart by wild dogs, even lions, because they would not recant their faith in Jesus Christ. They stood before the emperor and they would say, uh, I shall not, I cannot, I will not recant. Here I stand. Jesus is Lord. We were in temple after temple where the Caesar was proclaimed as Lord. If you don't know your history, Roman emperors, Roman leaders, Roman kings deified themselves. Roman emperors made themselves gods and had temples erected to them. Every year when Christians would have to pay their taxes, every year they were met with a choice. When you paid your taxes in the days of first century Rome, you would burn incense, and before the pagan priest, you would proclaim that Caesar is Lord. The Greek word is kyrios. It literally means deification. Can you imagine if a United States president declared himself as Lord and God? Can you imagine that? Settle down. You'd be good now. That's what they did in the days of Rome. The Christians would come up They'd have no problem paying their taxes. But instead of saying Caesar is Lord, they would confess Jesus is Lord. And they'd pay the ultimate price. As they were being strapped to the stake and burned alive as torches for Nero's banquets. 
They would sing at the stake. Jesus is Lord. James Guthrie, one of the Fox's Book of Martyrs, on the day of his execution, this great martyr of the faith, as he looked out his prison cell window, he declared, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Such was the faith of the early martyrs. But do you realize that there are more men and women being persecuted today for their Christian faith than at any time throughout Christian and church history? Do you know that your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, in Nigeria, in Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Indonesia, North Korea, China, are suffering terrible, terrible ordeals? Many are losing their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Just this weekend, Fox News reported about Miriam Ibrahim, this beautiful Sudanese doctor, this beautiful young lady has moved back to Sudan where she was brought up. She left as a child. Her father divorced her mother when she was age six. Her father, who left the family, never to be seen again, was Muslim. And this is the reason for her persecution because she's become a Christian and she's married a Christian husband, an American citizen. Let's read the news report together. The birth of a healthy baby girl is usually a joyous occasion, but when Miriam Ibrahim gave birth to her daughter Maya on Tuesday, May 27th, it triggered a two-year countdown to her execution. So-called relatives reported her to Sudanese authorities, which follow Muslim Sharia law. Have you heard of that? Sharia law. It's already becoming law in Britain. And we're right at the threshold because her father who divorced her mother when she was age six was Muslim. She must be Muslim and, of course, never marry a Christian. On May 15th, this May 15th, the 27-year-old Sudanese doctor was sentenced to death for apostasy by a Sudanese court. In addition, she is to endure 100 lashes for the crime of committing adultery with her Christian husband. That's what they call marrying a Christian, adultery. The judge ruled that the lashing would be carried out after she had recovered from delivering her baby and that her death by hanging would occur when her baby reached age two so she would have time to nurse the infant. During her trial, the judge asked the young woman three times to recant her Christian faith, but she refused each time. Will you pray for Miriam? Would you pray for her? It reminds me of Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives even unto the death. Folks, time is wrapping up. It's wrapping up so very, very quickly. And we need to pray for our our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not worried about suffering the loss of prosperity or popularity. They're not concerned about acceptance like we are so consumed by by losing our acceptance with society. They're losing their lives. They're paying the ultimate price. They're willing to pay the cost. They've counted it. And they're willing to pay the price. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price of carrying your cross for Jesus Christ? I want you to know it'll cost you your pride. It'll cost you your prosperity. It might cost you your position, but it's worth it. Oh, it's worth it. We used to sing a song in the church. I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed. His name to bear. I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian and take Him with me everywhere. Are you willing to carry His cross? No matter the cost. No matter the cost. Jesus asks you to count the cost. Finally, being a real Christ follower 
will cost you everything. Verse 33, in the same way, Jesus said, those of you who do not give up everything, you have, cannot, cannot be my disciple. So that there's no misunderstanding. Jesus sums up everything. In this one verse of Scripture, nothing is undone. Nothing is undeclared. Jesus wants us to understand the difference between being a committed Christian and a carnal Christian. You talk to pastors today, and they'll tell you the, the greatest indictment in the church today is the fact there are so many that are filling our churches that are carnal believers. And some pastors don't worry about it and don't preach about it. They just preach peace of mind, pap, positive psychology, a reclining chair religion, Jesus doesn't offer us a reclining chair religion. Jesus doesn't offer us a, a psychological word, a peace of mind pap. Jesus offers us a price to pay. And it's not carnal Christians, fleshly Christians, self-centered Christians. He calls us to be committed believers. He calls us to be disciples. Do you know the difference? Can you spot the difference? Let's do a diagnostic checkup here this morning. Carnal Christians, carnal Christians are characterized by inconsistency. There are no shows. They are the Easter Christmas Christians who attend church. They're the once a month uh, Christians. They sign up to, sh uh, to, 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 to work in the nursery or to be an usher, but they hardly ever show up. They're inconsistent. They're like the golfer who showed up 20 minutes late at the first tee. And they asked him, why are you 20 minutes late? He said, well, I made a deal with my wife to either go to church or to go and play golf. And I had made the deal with my wife that I'd flip a coin. I flipped that coin 43 times before it came up golf. Double-minded Christians. The Bible says that the double-minded, the inconsistent, uh, are unstable in all of their ways. They're insane spiritually. Disciples, true committed believers, can be counted on. They're dependent upon. They're faithful. The carnal Christian is a consumer-oriented believer. The carnal Christian says, what can you do for me, church? How can you serve me, church? They pray to God this prayer. God, give me a blessing. The committed disciple says, God, make me a blessing. Carnal Christians, how do you spot them? Carnal Christians, when the carnal Christian is invited to join a ministry, to be a part of a ministry, when they're given an opportunity to serve the Lord in ministry, their constant reply to the pastor is this, can't you find somebody else? Not the dedicated, the dedicated disciple, the committed Christian, uh, when they're approached, uh, in fact, they don't even have to be approached. They call up the pastor. They email the pastor. They notify the pastor. They tug at his sleeve and say, somebody somewhere needs ministry, and I want to be there. I want to be that somebody that serves the Lord here at Lakeside. We're talking about the difference between a carnal Christian and a committed Christian. Carnal Christians are high-maintenance people. They're dead weight around the neck of the church. Disciples are team players. They shoulder the burden of ministry. They hold up the pastor's hands, the deacon's hands, the elder's hands in prayer, and they let us know we want to shoulder the prayer burden. We want to shoulder the ministry burden of Lakeside Assembly of God. We don't want to be whiners. We don't want to be complainers. We don't want to be dead weight around the neck of the church. The carnal Christian, they complain about giving. They criticize the church that, that, that challenges them to be generous with God's work. The disciple, though, is excited about investing in God's work because they know they're storing up treasures in heaven and they're honoring the Lord. The carnal Christian is self-centered. The disciple is other-centered, Christ-centered. Carnal Christians are content with a head knowledge. Committed Christians want more than a head knowledge. They want a heart knowledge. They want to know Him and the power.
power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. They want to speak Jesus. They want to act like Jesus. They want to look like Jesus. Because they walk and talk with the lover of their soul, Jesus. Outside of church, there's no difference between the lifestyle of the carnal Christian and non-Christians. If push comes to shove, the carnal Christian will always cave in, cop out, and compromise. Not the disciple of Jesus Christ. The Christ follower is sold out and radical for Jesus. They want others to see Jesus being Jesus in them. They're willing to carry their cross for Jesus. A poem that I'm constantly reminded of is this. We are, put the slide up please, we are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given in deed and word. What if the type is crooked? What if the print is blurred? For most people around you in the lakeside area, you are the only Bible they will ever read. What if the print is crooked? The print is blurred. Jesus doesn't want us to make the decision of following Him based on emotion or blind devotion by using the illustrations of building and warfare. Jesus, write it down, urges us to count the cost. Count the cost. Count the cost of being His disciples. How many of you have been to Edge of Eternity? Lift up your hand. How many of you have witnessed the altar calls that I have given? The invitations of salvation that I have given? Because of this Scripture verse, I do everything that I can to make them hard. If I wanted to make it easy, I would just have hands raised and we'd count the number of hands. But if you're with me in these, we have people stand up, then we have people come down here in front of everybody. Then to make it doubly, triply hard, we make them walk all the way from here down to the chapel where they receive a starter's kit on what to do next as a follower of Jesus Christ. And even then, there's a sifting between decisions and disciples. Let us be clear. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is not for sissies. It's not for wimps. It takes a real man, it takes a real woman to stand up in this generation and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, though none go with me, I've decided to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he says, count the cost. There's a price to pay. There are terms to this arrangement. It's possible to be a Christian and end up not being a disciple. It's possible to be a spectator and not be a Christian soldier. It's possible to be a fan of Jesus and not to be a follower. If you don't think this is correct, read your Bible. On that day of days, they'll come before Jesus and they will say, I preached in your name. I healed in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And he'll say, I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. There's a great sifting coming to America. There's a great sifting coming to America. I believe, I believe, I believe that what we're seeing going on in our schools, our universities, this subtle persecution of Christians in our government, even now as I speak, I believe that it's coming to America where you're going to have to make a choice. Either Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord. Don't always think that the rapture will be your escape. There could be a great persecution coming even before the great tribulation. And it's now time for pastors to preach from their pulpits. Not a constant, positive, people-pleasing, psychological, peace of mind, pap, but the truth of God's Word. I want to know, can Lakeside handle the truth? Do you want the truth? There's a price to pay. 
But here's, here's, here's the part that I'm excited about. <laughs> Even though there's a price to pay, it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it because with the cost that we pay, with the price that we pay, though the cost is great uh, in being a Christ follower, point six, uh, the blessings are even greater. The blessings are even greater. Do you know the blessings? of being a Christian. Oh, here's a blessing. The moment you decide to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a born-again, blood-washed, Bible-believing soldier of the cross. Hallelujah. You're saved. You're made righteous with God. The Bible says we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Every morning, According to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, you and I need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Do you put on the breastplate of righteousness every morning? Soldiers will tell you if you want to take down the enemy, aim for the chest. It's a large area to shoot for with vital organs. That's why God wants you and I to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been made right with God. Not because of your righteousness, but because you've given up your sins to Jesus and He's given up His righteousness to you. Righteousness means that God is pleased with you. God approves you. Righteousness means that God is just jazzed with you. You're the apple of His eye. I don't know about you, but I get up morning after morning and as I'm half awake, old Slewfoot starts whispering in my ear, you're a loser. You're not going to make it. You're unworthy. You're sinful. Your prayers are going to bounce off the ceiling. Remember that in the past? Remember, you live in regret. I want you to live in shame. I want you to live in guilt. That's why, that's why, that's why I take off the flesh and I put on the breastplate of righteousness, His righteousness, God's approval. I'm not a nobody. I'm a somebody in Jesus. God has said it. I believe it and I receive it. And so should you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, it's worth the price. It's worth the price. How do you live as a disciple? Well, you need the Holy Helper. Who's the Holy Helper? Jesus said, unless I leave, I can't give the Holy Helper. When Jesus left this earth, this earth He sent down in fire and wind. Who? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, that will help you to live the life of an overcomer, a disciple. Don't do it in your own strength. Cry out to the Lord even this morning and say, God, help me to be all that you want me to be. Come, Holy Spirit, I need thee. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your might. Come in your power. Come in your own special way. I'm talking about blessings. Jesus said in John 10.10, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. You ask me, is it worth the price, the cost, to be a disciple? Oh, yes! I enjoy abundant living. Listen, you can have your happy hour where a community of drunks cry on each other's shoulders. What I've got, you can't find in a bottle of Jack Daniels. What I've got, you can't find in a pill. I've got a person, and his name is Jesus. We're talking love, joy, peace. Hallelujah. Amen. It's worth the cost. He's worth the cost. Oh, I could go on and on, the power of prayer. I'm, I could talk about favor. Uh, uh, we, we were at a point, our bus tour, Jeannie knows what I'm talking about back here. We were on our bus tour uh, in Jerusalem where they had shut down the roads because it was Jerusalem's July 4th, Independence Day. They were celebrating the 47th anniversary of Jerusalem being recaptured by Israel. First time in 2,500 years. Talk about prophetic fulfillment. And we're right there in the center of it. But they had shut down the main road for us to get back to our hotel. They wouldn't let us out. They had to go and argue with the soldiers, the police. They weren't going to let us out. And they said, if we let you go right, you'll have to go through the Palestinian West Bank. 
And we're afraid that rocks and stones will be thrown at you. Your lives are in peril. Either that or we'd have to sit there in the bus for five hours until 10 o'clock that night. Or walk 10 miles back to the hotel. I was voting for walking at first. We went to prayer in our bus because one of the blessings of paying the price is that God makes a way where there seems to be no way through the power of prayer. Amen. <laughs> we went to prayer as a bus. Our bus driver, Moti, he made a right-hand turn and took us through the Palestinian West Bank. For a whole hour, we trusted God, and not one pebble was thrown in our direction in the Palestinian West Bank. Hallelujah. I will make a way where there seems to be no way. Hallelujah. You can be guided by GPS. I'll be guided by God, the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. We could talk about favor. We could talk about the mind of God. We could talk about God confidence. I don't have enough time. The blessings are innumerable for those that choose to pay the price of being a Christ follower. An old woman, an old woman sat down with her pastor and she said, Preacher, I want you to honor my dying request. Preacher, on the day of my funeral, when people walk by my casket, I want to see them holding in my hand a gold fork. Her pastor thought she'd gone nuts. She said, Pastor, stop it. I'm in my right mind. Pastor, the reason for the gold fork is this. You remember at the church dinners, the church fellowships, the church potluck suppers, the church banquets. My favorite time at the church banquets was this. When you'd get up with a microphone and you'd say, hold on to your forks. The best is yet to come. The dessert is coming. I want everybody that comes by my casket to see that gold fork in my hand to know that the best is yet to come, that God is not done with me yet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those that traveled with us to Israel remember we came in on that Jerusalem anniversary and as soon as we got off the bus, the wail of prayers was like a wave after wave after wave. We were hearing the prayers of thousands. It was like heaven at the wailing wall as thousands of people were pressed against the wall of Solomon's temple, the wailing wall. And what were they praying? Meshua, please come. Meshua, please come. Meshua, please come. Messiah, please come. And I knew in my heart the Messiah has already come and they had rejected him. But he's coming back again. He's coming back again. He's coming back again. We walked on a ramp. We walked on a ramp, but I got a video of this. If you attend my prophecy class, you're going to see these videos. We walked on a ramp that spanned over the Wailing Wall area and took us directly onto the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is 13 acres of the most disputed real estate in the planet. The Temple Mount has brought us to World War III almost time and time again. What's on the Temple Mount where Solomon used to have his temple? Right now, it's an Islamic mosque, the Mosque of Omar. It's what you see in the skyline of Jerusalem, the Golden Dome. That's Muslim. It's idolatry. Solomon's temple needs to be there. The newly rebuilt temple needs to be there. And the Bible prophesies that either right before or right after the rapture of the church, that the temple will be rebuilt. Antichrist will sit down and proclaim himself as God. And then the Jews' eyes will be opened up and realize their first and real Messiah has already come. We were on this ramp. 
We entered onto the Temple Mount, and as soon as we did, we were surrounded by police and numerous, numerous soldiers with submachine guns and Uzis. And all of a sudden, we began hearing the chanting. Here were all the Muslims lined up on the wall with their fists and shouting on the other side. We're right in the middle. Our Orthodox Jews waving their flags and their banners and they're crying, We want the Temple now! We want the Temple now! And they were about to invade the Temple Mount and we're caught right in the middle of it. Becky was scared to death. She was freaking out, almost in tears. I'm loving every minute of it. I said, I've been preaching this. I've been teaching this. And it's happening right now right before our eyes. What's about to happen? What are we on the threshold of? Then He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to be with Him forevermore. Lakeside family, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. I'm more convinced than ever, Jesus is coming soon. You ask me, is it worth the cost? Young people, you might ask me, is it worth the price? Oh, yes, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's sorrows uh, will seem so small when we shall see His face. It will be worth it all. There's a price to be paid. But it's the greatest bargain of all eternity. It's far more than the deal of the century. It's the deal of all eternity. It's the most important transaction you'll ever make. But he asks you this morning, have you counted the cost? Will you pay the price? If you do, the blessings, the benefits are innumerable, both in the here and now and the hereafter. Father, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we're keenly aware that you're in the house. You're in the house. And Lord, we have not set the bar low. We have endeavored to preach the word. We have endeavored to preach the truth. We have not glamorized it or sensationalized it, Lord, but we have given the whole loaf here this morning. Oh, God, call us to a new level of, of following you. Call us to new, oh, God, love, first love. Oh, God, help us to be willing to put aside everything to following you. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. How many are here this morning? You're not sure you're right with God. You're not sure you have a home in heaven. But this morning you want to be sure. How many are here this morning and you're willing to pay the price of being a follower of Jesus Christ? Would you lift up your hand right now? Lift it up right now. How many within this service? Lift it up high. No secret agent believers. God bless you. I see that hand, young lady. God bless you. How many more? How many more? Lift it up to Jesus. Amen. God bless you, sir. I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. How many more this morning? How many more? We just give this opportunity even now, even now, to sell out, to be a sold out and radical believer for Jesus Christ. You may put those hands down. Precious Jesus. Now I speak to Christians. How many Christians are here this morning? And as you examine your life, how many believers, how many Christians would say, I need to move into drastic discipleship. I need to raise it up a bar. I need to go up a notch in my life with God. Pastor, your sermon has just brought a whole new perspective. I, I need to move into first love like never before. I need to ask God to restore the passion. I want to be a disciple. I'm determined to be a disciple. How many are here this morning? You're determined to be a true disciple. As terms were set forth this morning, lift up your hand. 
If your hand's not lifted up, then I just know you for who you are. If you want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, lift up your hand and stand up with me right now. Amen. Amen. Team, help me out. Help me out. Amen. Amen. Sing it with us this morning. Sing it with us this morning. Precious Jesus. Oh, would you sing it with us? Is this your song? No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. If this is your song, if you're willing to make something more than just words if you're willing to put these words into action this morning and this becomes a new degree this morning of dedication this becomes a new morning of dedication as a disciple for Jesus Christ if you're willing to make his song your song I'm gonna ask you to come down to this altar I'm gonna ask you to fill up the aisleways I'm gonna ask you to press in this morning you've got time you'll still beat the Baptist for lunch Trust me, you've got time. It's worth it. Amen. Make this song your song. Sing it along with the team. Amen. I will follow you. Come. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Come, come. Disciples, come. 